1992, I was a youth pastor, and I decided I was going to take our students, actually I was told I was going to take our students, to the Life Conference in Colorado. It was a, a youth conference that the Alliance does every three years. This year it was in Fort Collins, and so I packed the kids up into our church van, and we had an uneventful trip out there that was wonderful. Good conference. On the way home, we decided we were going to see some of the sites that are out in the west, and we were going to drive up into the, the Rockies and do some hiking, and so that Saturday morning, we, we left uh, Fort Collins bright and early. We got about 10, 15 minutes out of town. We were in desert, uh, and all of a sudden, something kind of popped underneath the hood of the van. You know, boom, boom, boom. And you know my theory. I was just driving until it fell off, and sure enough, it did. And so we just kept on going, oh, we didn't need that, I guess. And so we kept on going. A few minutes later, the RPMs were still churned, but there was just no power. So we kind of pulled off, and it was going just a few miles an hour off the exit, found a home, no cell phone, so we found some home out there. The guy let us borrow his phone. Tow truck came and brought us back into Fort Collins, dropped us off at a Midas dealer place. Uh, the guy said, hey, it's, it's about noon now. He said, it's Saturday noon. I'm really busy, but you know, I'll see what I can do. And so all the students, we just went across the street to a big health club. We hung out there. About 4.30 Midas calls. And they say, hey, we've, we've looked at your van, and, and come on over, because we want to talk to you about it. Well, it didn't sound real good, right? But, oh, okay, what do you do? You're, you're hundreds of miles away from home. So we went on over, and uh, he said, okay, I've got good news and bad news. The good news is what happened, it was just a belt that popped. And so I put a new belt on there. You got, it's nice. It's got a good belt. And it's guaranteed for a million miles. It's got a great belt. Bad news is when it popped, it slung around under your hood and knocked out your transmission line and you lost all your transmission fluid and I think your transmission's burned out and we don't fix those. I said, oh man. Okay, so, so we were in an industrial park place and so we jumped in the, the van and we went down the street at like three miles an hour till we got to an Amco dealer. They, that's what they do, transmissions, right? So they're locking up when we get there but we, whoa, hang on, in. our van, transmission. He said, well, let me drive it around the parking lot and so he tried and he said, yeah, it's your transmission, it's burned out, can't get to it till Monday morning. So, okay, so we got all the luggage and the kids, and we went over to the Denny's. And so they're all kind of hanging out at Denny's, and I'm going through the yellow pages trying to find a place we can stay because we don't have any cash to spend the night in a nice hotel. So I'm going through all the churches. Nice assemblies, assemblies of God Church in Fort Collins. If you're ever there, it's a great place. So I found that I talked to the youth pastor. I said, hey, listen, I explained my situation. He said, I'll be right there. So we came in his church van. He picked us all up in our luggage, brought us to the Assemblies of God Church. We spent the night there. Next morning, we got up. I think we used their van. We went to, into the Rockies. We hiked all day. It was wonderful. We came back that night to the Assemblies of God Church, had an ice cream social with them. That was great. Then we, we camped in, at their church that night again. Next morning, we were, again, at the Assemblies of God Church all day. I'm getting to know these people fairly well at this point. Uh, about 4 o'clock, Amco calls us. Got your van. It's all ready. Come on out. So the Assemblies of God youth guy picks us up, brings us all to Amco, drops us off, hugs, goodbye. It's wonderful. Nice knowing you. Paid the Amco guy a million dollars, got in our van, and took off. <laughs> we're down the road about 10, 15 minutes. <laughs> Same thing. No cell phones, a couple of kids go across the field, they hop the fence, farmer's field, they found a farmer, we got a tow truck and a couple of taxis to bring us all back to Amco. They said, yeah, sorry, we don't know what happened. So I call up our Assemblies of God friend, I said, listen, you said, if we were back in town, call you up, we're here. He said, I'll be right there, I'll bring some applications.
applications for membership. We said, that's a good plan, good deal. So we all went to the Assembly of God Church again that night. Next day, about 4 o'clock, Amco calls us back and says, I think I've got it figured out. Brand new transmission this time should be no problem. So we go. We, this is a true story. So we go. We're, we're, we're getting to pay the guy. Well, I don't know if we paid him anymore or not. Maybe, but we took off. We got just outside Denver. And we're driving. All of a sudden, flat tire, right? Pull off. Big truck stop. In front of the truck stop, very busy. Behind the truck stop, it's like a parking, massive parking lot. Nobody was there. A street light thing. So we pull up underneath it and we take all the luggage out. Get to the spare and check this thing up and get it all. Just before we're done, I tell the students, you guys, we're going to be leaving in just a few minutes. Go to the bathroom, get whatever you need. We're ready to go. So most of them go. One guy, Tracy, stays back with me. We jack this thing down. We put the tire, flat tire and all that in the car. We start to go get our luggage. And as we're grabbing our luggage, I see in my peripheral massive headlights coming at us. So I grab Tracy, pull him back. And, and the, I'm serious. The semi hits our luggage straight on. 18 wheels. Tracy and I are watching. Luggage going everywhere. He doesn't even slow down. What? He's going out of the expressway. It is like he didn't even see us. What in the world? Then he's gone. All the kids had come out and they were standing there with their Mountain Dews and Snickers and they'd watch this. So we're all kind of staring at each other. No one says, I think we're too shocked. No one says a word. We just go through the rubble, picking out pieces of Walkman and shampoo bottles and just walking to the dumpster. We're doing this for a little bit and suddenly someone starts to laugh. Before you know it, we're, we're, we're sitting down in the back of this parking lot just outside Denver, crying. We are laughing. Do you believe this? I was going to believe this. So we get, to, we get to Colorado Springs that night. That's where we're going. But now we're late, of course. And so the pastor must have thought we weren't coming. So he was gone. So it's midnight at Colorado Springs. And we don't know where we're going to go. Can't afford a hotel, remember? Luckily, Teresa's sister, serendipitously, is working at a camp in Colorado Springs that summer. And so about one in the morning, we're knocking on her door. She opens the door. You know, and there are all of our students. Hey, can we spend the night with you? Uh, yeah, yeah, come on in. So we crashed there. Next morning we had a powwow, and we determined that this trip was cursed. Can we just get home? Guys, forget the Air Force Academy. Let's just get, yeah, please. I got parents upset thinking that I'm keeping their kids in Colorado starting a cult, and they're going to fly out and get them. No, no, please, it's okay. So that day we take off, and we drive through the day, which is wonderful. We start driving through the night about three in the morning. Believe it or not, inside the van at 3 in the morning, it was, it was lots of activity. Everyone was laughing and joking. We were having a grand old time. Just outside Dixon, Illinois, which I come to find out is the home of President Ronald Reagan, I believe. And we're driving all of a sudden. My spare is flat. So it's quiet in the van. And one kid in the very back says, stinks to be us, man. Stinks to be us. Except he didn't say stinks. But everybody else was, amen, that's right. So we drive into Dixon, Illinois, a one-horse town. The Goodyear dealer is not even open at, at 3 in the morning. So we, we pull in. We just drop our van off. We go down a greasy spoon place, and we just spend the rest of the night there. We come back at 7.30. I'm saying, listen, buddy, can you just give us new tires all the way around? We want new spare. I want two spare. You fix anything that needs to be fixed. We just got to get home. The kids are sleeping all over the showroom. I mean, they're in the arms of the Michelin man on the side. They're just... They're... Finally, that, that, that afternoon, when we pulled into Appleton, Wisconsin into the drive, the parking lot. I got out of the car, I, I really, and I kissed the parking lot. Oh, thank you. Oh, thank you. Tears for parents. It was just... 
You know, the funny thing is, when I, this really, true story, true story. I didn't make any of that up. Matter of fact, I left a couple things out. <laughs> it just would have got too long. Uh, but when I tell that story, when I stop and think about it myself, you know, I, it, it, it grows me. Because I did not plan on that. It went the wrong way in so many ways. It cost us more money. It cost us more time. It cost us detours. But so many good things came out of that. When I look at that, I think of Proverbs 16, 9. I think the mind of a man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. I, 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 I tell it when I'm with the students. We'll talk about it. Some of those guys who were on the trip, we look at each other. And they're, they're all adults now, but it's, no one would ever believe this. But there's a bond between us that is instant. So we know. We know. Looking back and seeing what God has done does that. It grows, it grows our faith. And it's not just a great idea we have. It's, there's a biblical precedent for that. If you've got your Bibles, if you'll turn with me to Joshua chapter 3. Joshua chapter 3. The Israelites had just been... Uh, they're coming out of the, the desert. They're 40 years of wandering. They had been slaves in, in Egypt for 400 years. They have gone around to the east side of the promised land that God has given them. They're standing on the east side trying to get over. And this is what happens. Chapter 3 of Joshua, verse 14. It says, So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now, the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Don't think that the Jordan River is this little mild creek bed at this point. No, this was, this was a raging, incredibly strong torrent river. These guys are looking at it thinking, what do I do with my kids? How am I livestock? There's no way we're getting across this thing, right? Yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarethan, while the water flowing down to the Sea of the Arabah, the Salt Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan, while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Choose twelve men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priest stood, and to carry them over with you, and put them down at the place where you will stay tonight. So Joshua called together the twelve men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and he said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord, your God, into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be memorial to the people of Israel forever. And then, then verse 19. On the tenth day of the first month, the people went up from the Jordan and camped at Gilgal on the eastern border of Jericho. Then Joshua set up at Gilgal the twelve stones they had taken out of the Jordan. And he said to the Israelites, In the future, when your descendants ask their fathers, What do these stones mean? Tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan just what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. He did this so that all the people of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always 
fear the Lord your God. You know, if you think about this, this is kind of a very inefficient thing to do. These guys are getting ready to get into some major warfare. Uh, they're going to need their strength. And here they are carrying big old rocks across the, the, the desert. I mean, they, they didn't camp right at the end of the, the Jordan. They had to go into Gilgal. This was a day's walk. And there they are, carrying these big old rocks. You say, well, this is kind of inefficient. I mean, they're not going to even build a, a major fortress with these rocks. They're not going to load them into their catapults, which weren't even invented yet. They, they, what were, this was useless use of time and energy. What are you doing? But see, God knows that what they're going to do with these rocks, what they're going to build with these rocks, is the most powerful tool they will have, they will need, if they are going to accomplish the task he has for them. This runs against our American efficiency completely. But it's God's, God's way, and it makes lots of sense. God knows that their task he's given them is not going to be a cakewalk. He knows they're going to find some, some really intense external enemies. They're going to come against war machines that they had never seen before. They're going to face giants. They're going to see people coming at them who have killed hundreds of people before, and they're deciding that they're going to be the next one. And here are these guys who had been slaves in Egypt, and they, they've been in the, in the desert, and they're going to be standing with their rakes going, oh man, what are we going to do with this? Uh, God knows that the external enemies are going to include idols all over the land. And God knows that there's incredible internal enemies. And that if these folk don't have this pile of rocks... These internal enemies are going to, to shed them in all kinds of different rabbit trails. They're going to deal with pride. We're going to get clobbered at, at AI, right? They're going to deal with deception. Remember the guys in Gibeah? Tried to deceive them, to try to derail the mission. Kind of worked in some ways. There, were going to, there was going to be discouragement and despair and fear, all kinds of internal enemies. And God knows that there's no way these folk are going to accomplish the task I've called them to accomplish. Too many enemies without this pile of rocks. Now, this is the memorial stones and the way it works. He's saying when you're at your worst, when you're discouraged, when you're depressed, when, when it's all going wrong, you're going to come by, walk by this pile of rocks, and your kids will say, what's with the pile of rocks? And then you stop and you reflect and you go, you know, actually, these rocks, believe it or not, these are from the, from the center of the Jordan River. Really? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. See, the reason why we're here in the land right now is God put us here miraculously. He got the river and it dried up, dried up and we walked on dry. Miraculous. We are here not because you guys aren't here because you were born here, because your parents happened to live here. Oh, no, 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 no. God's bigger than that. You're here because God placed you here on mission. We got a job to do. It's a job bigger than us. We can't accomplish this job. But see, God's power dried up the Jordan. He can do this. He can do it through us, but we have to lean on him. That's what it was supposed to accomplish. And if you follow the text, what happens? This, the, why is this here? It's for the children, the, the, the future generations to look, to see what God has done. It builds their faith. It's for them. He says, you will fear the Lord. This is for us. It's not, fear isn't, you know, trepidation. Oh, he's going to hit me. He's so big and he's a mean God. No, no, no. No, fear is awe. It's stopping to realize God is that powerful, that big. Of course I'm going to submit to him. You, you do this so that the world may know that there's a God. Somehow, uh, God has been working in people's hearts. And when they hear of his works, they hear of who he is. 
Uh, God brings them to him most often. And so it says, this is why you, you need to set up memorial stones. I don't know if you set up any personal memorial stones. I've got some in my life that have been huge. But as a church, there are memorial stones that we need as well. So we're going to look at the, the history of FAC for just a moment. For the last couple of weeks, I've been in and out of our archives. We've got some pretty organized, neat archives. Learned a lot about the church. Let me give you a little background for just a second. 1861 to 65, Civil War is going on, right? Bad, bad thing. 65, though, to 1900, it's a time where church historians refer to in the United States of America as the time of the Third Great Awakening. Throughout the United States, major metropolitan areas is where it started. There was a revival. I mean, businessmen came to, to pray, hundreds and hundreds. They said in Chicago, mobsters showed up. The mayor was there. I mean, it was just a, a major time of, of getting rid of the old, of dying to self, of recognizing that Jesus is real. And so this major movement in, in uh, church history, it's referred to often as the great missionary movement because all the churches, I mean, all, you know what I mean by say all, majority of the churches, many of the churches, huge movement in, in the states started saying, we need to make sure everyone in the states understands that Jesus is real and that people overseas know it too. And so United States and Britain, ton of missionaries at this time. Well, there's a guy by the name of A.B. Simpson. He's kind of like the Billy Graham at this time. He gets this vision. We've got to reach here. And he starts doing some things to reach here that would probably upset a lot of us. That's kind of unorthodox. I don't know. He's doing it because you've got to reach here. And you have to reach there. And so he's committed to that. So he starts a training school in New York called the Missionary Training Institute. Very first Bible college in America. Now it's known as NIAC. Keith and Jamie went to NIAC. Um, this is, no, this is, he starts that in 1882. Now this is where we come in. 1900, two men, George Buchanan and I always get this guy, Vinton Brush, hanging out in Erie. They start talking about God and the Bible. They come across two graduates of this training school who share with them this idea of reaching here and reaching there and that's what we've got to be about. And these guys catch fire. And they say, that's right. We need to be doing this here in Erie. And so they start a little Bible study. So between 1900 and 1906, this Bible study is basically meeting in people's homes. 1907 to 1913, they decide to go public, and they name their Bible study. This is the first name, The Mission, because they're on mission, they're on task. They've got to get reach here, and they've got to reach there. That's what we're all about. 1913, they purchase a little piece of land on 18th Street. 1914, they go incorporated. They're going to go legal. They're going to be official with this thing. And so they name their church. The Gospel Tabernacle of the Christian and Missionary Alliance of Erie, Pennsylvania. Man, that's, can you imagine the letterhead on that? They've got to have legal size horizontal, you know, to fit all that on there. But yeah, that's the name of, of their, their church. And then in time in 23, they purchased this little duplex on 11th Street. Y'all might, many of you might remember this because here is where the, the Gospel Tabernacle, the Christian Missionary Alliance hung out for 50 years and did work there. In 65, they had a name change. They decided that, that we can't use all this ink anymore on our letterhead. We got we to condense. How about First Alliance Church? They changed their name in 70, 75. They broke land for this, this place right here. Now, the cool thing is, if, if you get in the archives and you have access to them, what you'll find is those first few years of this church, these folk, sometimes before they even did any remodeling, before they were so committed to reaching people here and reaching people there that everything else was secondary. 
I mean, the things they did here in Erie, they would rent the arena. They, they would bring in one thing that they did in 24, 1924. They called it the Glory Barn. It was an 11-week, can you imagine this 11-week campaign? Every night, people were coming out to this thing. Hundreds of people were reached here in Erie. They would bring in Christian celebrities. 36, they brought in a gal named Alexandria Wazaluska. Now, I'm sure that you might not know Alexandria today, but at that time, she was a gal on Broadway who was living the life of Broadway who came to a relationship with Christ's major change. They did a lot of these kind of things. because They were so committed. This, if you follow those early years, their slogan seems to be, it's not about me, it's about them. It's not us, it's them. We're not going to build a place for us. You know, I've got, this is so cool. The yearbook and directory for 1930-31, the pastor who is... Uh, H.N. Harvey, he says this at the end. They, they give their history. He says, um, our aim is evangelism. We want to reach the masses both at home and abroad. To this end, we are looking forward to the time when we can complete the remodeling of the church. They are building. They're building. Not for them. Not for their comfort. Not so they can have fun. For them. Outward. That's the slogan that these guys operated on. Unless you say, hang on, hang, unless you say, oh, those were the glory years, man. That was the time when the church was really happening. That's what was led by good people then. But see today, losers. Now we're, we're in trouble. Our church is a mess. We're big. Hey, let me, let me pop your bubble for a minute. I have on my, uh, my desk minutes from a board meeting, March 21st, 1917. It was a very spirited board meeting. Folk were calling each other some names. There were some inference. And you, and you, there was, it was, they were hot. I can imagine this guy writing. They were just having a grand old time because they were upset at each other. 1960, and this, is, this kind of thing is scattered throughout the archives, by the way. So this is not an isolated instance. 1965, when they changed the name. How do you think that went? Um, can you, 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 it, there was 36 votes for it. There were nine against it. 25% of the people said, What? Change the name. You can hear the arguments. You know, we're going to take Christian and missionary out of our name. Oh, that's what we stand for. We're going to hell in a handbasket. We're good and liberal. Try to accommodate the culture. You can hear all the arguments. And so this was hot. I'm told that in the 70s when they tried to make the change from there to our current property, mm, that was a spirited, animated, loud time. And there were some, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I remember that. Huh? They thought, no. But, but you need to know this. I wish I could tell you, this is, you know, just eerie church. It's kind of us. No, it's church all over the world. Don't think there's a place in the world where that kind of thing is not going on because the church is filled with, run by, struggling, hurting people. But here's the deal. Jesus is still going to have his way. He says, I will build my church. Sometimes he builds it because of the faithfulness of his people. Sometimes he builds it in spite of their unfaithfulness. But he will build his church. It's growing through this time. People are coming to know Christ during this time. Uh, Jesus will build his church. He'll do it. Now, if we, if we think through what the church has been, I think of these guys, George Buchanan and... So the guy always get his name wrong. I'm sorry. I'll see him in heaven and apologize. But these gentlemen, did they know what they were getting themselves into? Did they know where their fruit would go? Up to this point, their work has sent over 100 full-time people into the, the task of reaching people here and reaching people there. Foreign mission societies, foreign mission movements have been established because of the work here. 
inner city and, and citywide social agencies have been birthed out of this church. Many churches in Erie have spun off because their desire to reach Erie with the gospel. They're going to reach the here. And so these, these two gentlemen, they, and the interesting thing with these guys is if you do Google searches on them, you try to, to search, there's nothing on them. And their picture's not on baseball cards, they're not hyper-successful folk. I, but they trusted God. He gave them a vision. And God did the work in a major, major way. Well, that was then. What's God doing today? Well, don't just think, well, God went on vacation. There's all kinds of stuff happening. But our, our Mothers of Preschoolers program, our MOPS program, uh, God is doing amazing things with that. Our, our youth program is getting traction and moving in the right direction. We've got uh, all kinds of folk who are leading studies. We've got uh, divorce care and grief share and divorce care for kids and Financial Peace University led by people who care. We've got, um, I don't know if you've heard of, familiar with this, ministry team, you know these guys? You know the great uh, Good Samaritan? Have you heard of these? You don't know of these people unless you need them. They fly under the radar here. But let me give you an example. You're here on Sunday morning, you fall and break your leg. We have people every single time the church gets together in a large group, skilled doctors and nurses who are on call. They know it. Some of y'all may be that today. You know. You're ready. You're waiting. If your beeper goes off, you're set. They'll get a hold of you immediately uh, as we would wait for further medical treatment. Then you end up in the hospital for who knows how long. Our, our mercy team will visit you daily. I've never heard of that kind of a ministry that a church does. It happens here. Then you're struggling financially because there's stuff, life is just going south, it's spinning out of control in every way. Our benevolence team will step in and help you in a major way. You know, we just had a handful of men in this church who, who finished an eight-month intense discipleship program. We, we have, uh, you know, it's just a gazillion things you can think of between our food pantry and our upper room, all kinds of ministries, our singles ministry that are going, the moving ministry where people are giving their backs in practical service. Uh, the church is a giving, giving church. And we haven't even talked yet about the folk who finance and the people who are giving. We all are supposed to be giving in major, major ways. This is a giving church that the ministry would continue. Now, there's one ministry, though, we want to uh, highlight for just a moment. It's a, it's a ministry that God is really moving in as well here. So we can show the video. We'll take it from there. In my father's house are many rooms. Every word I say, I want to live each day. 
Each person standing on this stage represents a slice of our children's ministry, and we've each been asked to share how we got involved and uh, something that's special to us about it. <clears throat> so my name is Damon DeVore, and I uh, run the nursery here at the church, ages zero through two years old. Um, <clears throat> many years ago, the, before I was in charge of the nursery, uh, it, it ran differently, and it was... Um, it was operationally different, and the layout of the, of the place was a little different. And in my opinion, it was less secure and needed a little attention. So I began uh, praying about it and asking God to change that. And basically, he said, well, why don't you run it? <laughs> so I said, okay. So I did. <clears throat> That's how I got involved with it. Um, the one thing that one of my goals for the nursery is to provide a place where the children are comfortable being dropped off to. And I want them to enjoy coming to the nursery. I also want the parents, I want you guys to feel comfortable leaving your children with us so that you can focus on what you need to focus on uh, while you're here. So that's me. I'm Jason Buto. Uh, I teach three, four, and five-year-old children on Sunday mornings. And I can honestly say that I've rarely been a part of a ministry that has been so fruitful, from uh, missions to evangelism when I was at Penn State to small groups, my work as an elder. This is a, a very extremely fruitful ministry. Um, and over the course of the past year, I've had an opportunity to uh, lead a dozen kids into a relationship with Christ. Um, and not only that, but uh, because they come back week after week, I've had an opportunity to uh, responsibly disciple them and help them to grow in their relationship with the Lord and come to know what it means to, to walk with the Lord. Uh, it's been exciting to share uh, the children's decision with their parents as they come to pick them up. Uh, and the, another neat thing about it is um, it's very easy to do. The preparation is maybe about a half hour during the week. All of the lessons are scripted, um, so it's, it's extremely easy and yet uh, so fruitful. So I'm very excited to be a part of that. Hi, my name is uh, Brian Krieger, and I'm the league director for Upward Sports here at the church. And, uh, of course, uh, sports was a big event in my family uh, growing up, and uh, I just feel it's a great opportunity uh, for kids to, to see a relationship, uh, just be able to cultivate uh, Christ into their, their life. And uh, 
I prayerfully brought it for God, and uh, I felt that it was on my heart to uh, step in and uh, take this leadership role. Of course, ask my wife, see if I could help. And uh, it was just a, a, a great opportunity that I wanted to uh, move into. And I just feel that kids, they need to have, um, Jesus needs to be a lifestyle and, and not a, an event. They need to you know, develop that. And uh, just had a great opportunity uh, not only to lead upward, uh, but I also had an opportunity to coach. Uh, and I had a group of about 10 boys, and it was just great to see their skills develop, their game, uh, basketball, just grow uh, over that three-month period. Uh, but ultimately, it was just really, really great to see their walls come down and to see their hearts and their minds open up uh, to truth and to have Christ, uh, just to understand what, uh, what Jesus did for them. And uh, so I'm just really excited to be you know, part of God's kingdom and the transformation here in Erie. Hi, I'm Steph DeMoss, and I am the director of Sparks for Awana. And I have to say that it's been a tremendous joy and a privilege to serve the Lord in this ministry. Our Awana clubbers are so energetic and so eager to learn God's word. Each week I was amazed how well they recited their verses. So many of them have already completed a full handbook, which is a lot of verses that they memorized. And it's a privilege and a joy and a blessing to be able to share Jesus with these precious little ones. Um, our team has worked very well under the vision and direction of Jelana and this ministry team that God has blessed this church with. But all the praise and glory goes to Jesus Christ for the strength and the power and for equipping us. Thank you, Jesus, for equipping us to do this work. And we give you the glory. Good morning. My name is Christine Buto, and I'm the director of Early Childhood Ministries at the church. It's not a surprise to me that I'm a teacher both during the week at our preschool and then also on Sundays. My very first classroom was in our basement as a little girl with a room full of stuffed animals that listened really well. And now classrooms full of real children. It's always fun and exciting and different every day with the kids coming in. You don't know what they're going to say or do. That's always a blessing. But this is a newer blessing to me to work with adult and youth leaders. Um, it's fun and a challenge to bring in the child that has tears in their eyes and is having trouble leaving their parents to bring them in to get them comfortable and settled and then share that success with the parents when they come to pick them up and to see them return each week to become more comfortable and involved quicker. It's okay if you did not grow up with a classroom full of stuffed animals and a desire to always teach, but there's a place for you at First Alliance and a gift for everybody, all of your gifts, there's a place for you to work. You know, it's a blessing for me to be a part of ministry. It's humbling, and I love it. But I believe it's something that should be celebrated all the time. And so with kids, I and I desire to bring them forth before you guys at times to celebrate what God is doing in their lives. So these girls came to me a couple of weeks ago, and we were talking about um, how to stand firm in our world. And they looked at me, and they said, is it okay to bring our Bibles to school? And I said, absolutely. It might be hard. You might struggle, and people might say, some mean things, but you know what? Be bold. So I asked them to be bold enough to come up front here and just share with you a little bit of their heart. So we're going to start out just by asking you, what do you think it means to be a Christian? A Christian means to... Or what do you love most about Jesus? <laughs> I love that he's always there for me, and when I'm scared, he always helps me. Mm -hmm. We were talking about being a follower of Jesus Christ, and that means he saves us from our sins. And, you know, sometimes sins can be a scary word. But Noel's favorite verse is John fourteen two. Can you share that with us? 
In my father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And so the reality is, if that's truth, that's where we all want to be someday. We want to be with Jesus in heaven. And so what is one way that you guys can show Jesus to other people in your daily lives? By how I act and talk and how if I got hurt and how I respond back to that. How we respond, you know, that can be one of the most challenging things. We've been talking about the fruit of the Spirit, and that's what people should see in us. My name is Jelana Krieger, if you haven't figured that out. I am the Director of Children's Ministries here at the church, and I absolutely am honored to be here. Um, Working with children over the last year, we have seen over 650 souls, little souls, be introduced to Jesus Christ, and that's a powerful thing. In Upward Sports alone, we have had over 70% of our families involved not go to church anywhere or not go to a Bible-believing church, and that is a powerful thing. And we are reaching families. It's not just about the kids, it's the families. This summer we're talking about jumping in, and our challenge for everybody is this. The church is yellow. We are the light and bringing the illumination. The family is red, and that is the love. And combining them together creates orange. And so we need to be an orange environment across the board. And you know, the powerful thing is everybody was created by God here, and everybody has a gift and so everybody has something to offer i'd love to say everybody come to children's ministry but that's not my heart my heart is that everybody would jump in somewhere and get connected i am blessed to have all these people involved here um but we need more people you know after this we need to run back and make sure our areas are okay so we join you to be a part of this my final challenge is this everywhere we go we should be leaking uh, jesus we should be leaking jesus and if we're not then we're not walking closely enough with him. And so I encourage you to be a part of that. Um, We serve over the summer. We have semesters, and so we have summer serving opportunities where you're just serving for three months. So if you're nervous about coming in and saying, they're going to sign me up till I'm dead, that is not the case. So please get involved. Jump in somewhere today and get involved. Thank you. I know that one of the things that they want to do is they want to give their regular um, teachers and workers the summers off. Now, so you're not signed up for forever. And that's coming up real soon. But you know what will happen if suddenly all the workers leave. Well, we don't close down the children's ministries for the summer. That's where we come in. And I would encourage you, and if you're already doing 35 things, don't eat, don't sign up for 36, okay? Take some time to breathe and be with the Lord and your family. But if you don't have a lot going on, let me encourage you strongly to consider, can, can God use me for just three, three months? How can I help? How can I serve those who serve our kids? How can I, I serve our kids? There's a table out in the Narthex. If you would stop off, you don't have to, to even commit to anything. You can say, listen, I'm not just, I've got a friend who might want to serve. What do they have to do? And they'll give you the information and you can sign up there. That would, enc- that would encourage them, I'm sure, and help the church greatly. You know, as I was in the archives this last uh, couple of weeks, there were a couple of times I remember just sitting down on the floor in there and, and praying. They're all in a little safe room, closet thing. Uh, but just wondering that one day, perhaps years down the road, somebody else will be going through these and there'll be a file marked 2013. Uh, what will they see? You know, there were these two guys 100 plus years ago. 
not famous, not any major gifts, but they trusted God. They caught his heart for Erie. They, they took him up on his deal. You know, God made a, 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 a deal with us in Psalm chapter 2, second Psalm. He says, ask of me and I will give the nations as an inheritance to you. That's quite the, quite the promise. And these guys at one point looked at Erie. They saw it through God's eyes, people who need this eternal love that he gives. They need forgiveness. They need grace. They need to know him who transforms their lives. And they said, God, would you give us Erie? Could you do that? They said, God, here, here am I. Not much. Got lots of issues. But you're God. You can dry up the Jordan. Could you use me? And he did. And I wonder, would our names, would my name, be listed among those two men as somebody who God used in Erie in his work here 